Welcome to this week's Dewsbury Gospel Church podcast with Pastor Ward. The good news that Jesus brought, you know, was uh, very specific. And he said that the Father anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor, to set captives free, to open blind eyes, heal the sick, bring deliverance. And that's exactly what he did. He fulfilled the call on his life. And you know, we've been called to do the same. And, uh, and so we, uh, we look at the end of the uh, scriptures in Revelation. Revelation is one of those books that sometimes people avoid. Uh, they feel that maybe it's too complicated you know, to understand and it has all these kind of symbols and things going on. And yet, you know, uh, it's the one book in the Bible that says specifically, if you read it, you will be blessed. So how foolish we are to avoid it. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And it was interesting that probably John was the, the last one of those original uh, disciples of Jesus, those 12 that he chose to live out a natural life. And we know that he was the one who had this experience, this great revelation. Those who study kind of languages and the way that John's gospel is written, some have said, well... It's written in a different kind of way, is revelation. And therefore they kind of conclude that maybe it wasn't the Apostle John. But when you consider the things that he saw, I mean, he will have seen our time and the things that are happening now. And how do you explain something that you've never seen before? And so he... uh, so clearly his writing would be in a different way, in a different manner. But the bottom line is that all Scripture is God-breathed. Amen. It's there for a reason. It's there for a purpose. And how important those early chapters of Revelation are for us to understand because it was letters to the churches, the seven churches in Asia. And already that there were major problems occurring in those churches. And only one of those seven actually was free of uh, any kind of sense of, you need to sort this out. Even the church at Ephesus, that great church that had great pastors there in the past, they started with uh, the Apostle Paul founding it, and Timothy Titus had been there, and Dr. Luke and Mark, and these, these great men of God. And yet, the Lord Jesus himself says, you've lost your first love. And, of course, we know that without love, nothing is going to happen. Faith actually operates through love. The Lord Jesus, the reason that so many things happened through him, because everything that he did was through his love for the people. And Father sent him to do that because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And so we're looking at Revelation chapter 14, uh, which is an interesting chapter particularly for anyone who's involved with, or we all should be involved in some way with with Israel because of the importance that we find in Scripture and and how important Israel has been to us as believers. If it were not for the Jews, you know, where would we be? Most of our New Testament was written by Jews. Lord Jesus was a Jew, so when people say, you know, God has given up, with the Jewish people. No, he hasn't. Um, he made covenant promises to a man called Abraham, the father of our faith. Amen. And so we, we do need to know these things. And uh, in verse 6, uh, we realize that John is having these great revelations coming to him. And, uh, but if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, Very interesting verse there where it says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. 
And uh, we believe these to be the uh, 144,000 that, that God talks about back in Revelation 7, 12,000 of each of the tribes, the 12 tribes. And these are, have been preserved for the preaching of the word. And uh, it's an amazing thing that it says a lamb standing on Mount Zion. And uh, this may well be the heavenly Zion. But nevertheless, there is the Lord Jesus with 144,000 that are ready to proclaim this good news. They have been preserved. We know that the Jews will go through a tremendous time of tribulation. But God has always got a remnant. Amen. He's always got a group. He's already got a people ready to do the calling. And so we should never, you know, put down small things. We're foolish to do that. Because God would rather have uh, 60 people in here that are fully committed than having 6,000 who are just into believerism. You know, just believe and that's it. And we don't do anything else. A lady was in the uh, shop this week and uh, she, uh, she made a comment. She said, um, you've got all of these kind of things going on. And she says, and yet you're really a small church. I said, yes. I said, you know why? Uh, that's not a bad thing, is because we know we couldn't have done it. It's got to be God. And God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. I said, I, I, I know that God isn't uh, going to keep things small, but, but he always needs a nucleus to work with. He even had 12, just 12 men, but then we find that even three and four of them were kind of a, uh, a unit that he would talk to specifically about things. Three of them went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he told those three not to say anything to the other ones until the time was right. And so he was actually involving, you know, people in, in certain ways. And, and so, you know, with Gideon, 30,000 were too many. Because with 30,000, it was likely that Gideon could have, you know, won the victory anyway. But God says, no, we'll settle for 300. Uh, really, I committed to things. And, and then God gets the glory. And so it is. We can't run Bible colleges and schools and radio stations and, uh, unless God was in it and God was doing it. And yet, God requires you and me. He loves to work with people. He has actually chosen only to do things on this earth through the church. That, that was his choice. So if the church doesn't do what God has called them to do, it doesn't get done. As Stephen was saying about, you know, even prayer breakfasts don't happen unless there are people that say, hey, I'll be part of that. I'd like to be part of that. One of the greatest ministries in the church isn't pastors and, you know, it's ministry of helps. People who just want to be hands-on and do something, you know, and it's, it's ministry as much because, you know, we come here week by week. The building gets cleaned. The gardens look nice. The grass is cut. But somebody's got to do those things. But just think if that didn't happen, there weren't people committed to do that. And so, you know, I always say, if you see something that needs doing, go do it. <laughs> and that's the way it should be. It's like our children... We, we know we can give them rules and orders to do th things, but isn't it so nice when they actually go and do something you've never asked them to do? That is far more of a blessing than if you had actually said, I want you to do this, and they you know it's good to have obedient children. But when they actually take the initiative, and I think that that's the way it is with God. He puts things on our heart, and, uh, and he just gives us that prompting, go and do that, go and do that. And, uh, and what a blessing. We, we realize these days it's so important to do what God tells us to do. And the gospel is the, the means whereby we can see old town changed. Looking at, you know, these aspects, I was reading, as I said, about this, this chap who's done all this research on revivals. And, uh, 
I was looking at his blog. I'm always interested in, in what people think, you see. We, we talk about revival. Now, if you go to the States in America, we got American series, so I've got to be a little bit careful what I say. But you see, outside these churches, big boards saying, revival here this weekend. And, but their concept of revival is not what we think revival really is. What they're meaning is they've got a special meeting and they may have a healing evangelist and, and so they call it revival. But it isn't really revival. And it's interesting to consider you know, what the Word says about revival. Now you can only revive something that has already got life in it. Otherwise what you need is a resurrection. So the terminology that we use sometimes gets a little bit confused and, and so that there is true revival in a sense, but the revival always starts with the people of God. God is looking for his people to be revived. We've been born again. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We don't have the Holy Spirit. We're not born again. We get baptized in the Spirit, so we have power to witness and we have power for our own personal lives to be holy, to live holy before God. And that, that, is, that is good. And, but sometimes even people that are speaking in tongues, baptized in the Spirit, you find that they're not really fulfilling the calling that God has put on their lives. And therefore, we can settle for those things and just be going through life as ordinary people do with a little thing added on on a Sunday and, you know, that's it. But it's got to be more than that. But then, of course, uh, all it needs is for that flame to be fanned and, and for it to come alive. And, and God is always encouraging us to, you know, to grow in his grace. And uh, an appreciation of the grace of the Lord Jesus is so often what's necessary. We settle for being saved, going to heaven, and all of that. But God wants us to live in fullness in this life. But then we, we get the physical problems, and it slows us down, and, and we feel, well, I can't do this anymore. But the Word says, I can do all things through Christ. Amen. So why should we, we settle for the thoughts that come into our head? Because that is where the enemy is speaking into our mind and trying to convince us. And, and then we start believing other reports. You know, even doctor's reports that are so negative. We, I mean, we went to pray for this little girl. And, you know, but all that was, we were hearing around her was negative things. And in a way, we have to turn our ears off to those things. And we remember when Jesus went to raise a, a little girl from the dead, he had to move out all of those who were negative in their thinking because it hinders the, the, the move of faith. And, uh, and so if Jesus had to do those things, we clearly have to be also in that same line. I read about Wigglesworth often that when he went to pray for people, if there were any that were kind of, because in Jesus' time, they were just mourning over this little girl and everything, you know, and there's a spirit that comes in. One of the lines in one of the songs that we sang this morning, it was, it was you know, about fear. And that uh, then we, we move into faith and we move into worship and praise and it drives fear out. But fear is the greatest weapon that the enemy uses against us. A fear that, you know, we, 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 we get a pain and then, and then we start thinking, oh, that could be. And then the devil says, yeah, it could even be worse than that. And if we're not careful, we, we started believing the lies of the enemy. And therefore we start rushing to, oh, I've got to get some, you know, I've got to go to the doctor. I've got to find out what this is. Well, why not just, you know, rebuke it? But if that is a spirit of fear, then you can deal with that. And we need to uh, make sure that we do because fear is the one weapon that the enemy will use over and over again. But praise God, we are beginning to learn. And we are meant to train our spirit to deal with these situations that come to us. But then... Um, and what this gentleman was saying, and I agreed with this completely, that he said that, that when, when the church gets truly into revival, 
that then what happens is that there can be an awakening that comes into an area. And that's where the unsaved begin to cry out to God. When, when they had the, uh, probably the last revival that we had was maybe uh, kind of in the 50s. I know there's little pockets going on right now in Wales and so on. But that great move of God up in the Hebrides and uh, when those two ladies were, were crying out to God and they, they were told by the Spirit of God to, to get in touch with this gentleman in Ireland. Can good things come out of Ireland? Well, I guess... Uh, Duncan Campbell was holding uh, uh, meetings out there and they got in touch with him and they said, Mr. Campbell, you have got to come to Scotland. God has told us we're going to have revival. And he, he kind of said, no, I'm too busy, I can't do that. And then, of course, God got on his case and he went over there and then they started having these meetings and they say, uh, and the church, you see, the believers started getting revived and started believing God and, and then suddenly they said that, that even kind of at midnight lights were going on in the area round about where the meeting was and the unbelievers started getting under conviction of sin and they actually were coming out of their houses with their chairs to come to the meeting. Now that's an awakening and that affects the area. But true revival, to, to say revival in its fullness, is what we would say is really transformation. That's when all town is moved upon. Like in the Welsh revival, you know, when the miners, because there were predominantly miners in, in Wales in the days of Evan Roberts, when that revival took place, and the miners uh, would actually be so under conviction that they started coming to the meetings. They, they would finish their, their kind of duties in the, in the pit. They would kind of get washed and showered and, as they need to because they're absolutely... My dad was a miner and I used to, at times, if he hadn't had a shower, he, when he came home, he, he would be completely black, basically. He often he didn't do that, but mostly they get showered straight away. But there were occasions when, I don't know, maybe the showers didn't work or whatever. But these miners, they, they would shout, they would go straight to the meeting. They're not thinking about, I've got to have you know, supper or whatever. And, and they were so caught up with this. And then, of course, they got truly converted. They went down the mines. But they say that all of these pit ponies that they used, they were used to all the swear words for instructions, you know, to pull the, the coal carts. And, of course, the miners could no longer use that language anymore. So the pit ponies wouldn't work. Because they only work by the swear words. So they had to retrain the pit ponies and re-educate them. So I don't know, they probably said hallelujah, which meant, you know, start pulling or, you know, praise the Lord, that might have meant stop or whatever. But, but that was, and, and so it affected all of the community. They say that the crime in, that, uh, in those towns came to zero. The policemen had nothing to do. There were no crime. And you know that they say that uh, to pass the, the time, the policemen started the great choirs that they have in Wales. They, they call them glee clubs. And the, the, the police would sing together, you know, because there was nothing else to do. And they used to wear white gloves, apparently. You know, there, there was just no crime. Now, that is true kind of revival. But it's more than revival in the sense that it's transformation, a whole... You know, Dewsbury will be completely free of drugs. It will be free of crime. That's the kind of thing that God can do if people will respond to what he wants to do. Is it possible? I believe it is, because all things are possible with God. And we know that we need it. The, the challenge, of course, in this town is because the enemy has come in like a flood, literally. And we have thousands and thousands of Muslims. They say that they can have 10,000 gathering in the mosque in Dewsbury each year. They bring in people. Their Bible college, we've heard, has got about, they're training 300. We, this, we heard this some time back. They've got 300 training every day to spread the gospel of Islam. Well, it's not gospel, is it? Because it's not good news. But you know what I mean. And, and they, they're actually being trained to go into all of Europe and, uh, and propagate that false message. 
That's why God has got to have a college more than 300 anyway, praise God. Although the message with 100 would be uh, enough to transform this town, I believe. But we, uh, but we know it's going to affect the whole world, as God told us that. Uh, from even this church, he said, we would send people out into all the world. And um, thank God, we, we've already been to Nepal. We're going to Montenegro. I love these names. Most of us only know Montenegro by the football team, you know, that England have to play. Uh, but praise God. And this brother, you know, this is so exciting because, you know, when we've considered going, you know, and we were praying about uh, the mission trip every year, there's got to be a mission trip for second-year students in the college. It's part of their training. That's why I love, you know, the uh, CBC uh, the Carriage Bible Colleges because it's hands-on, you know, it's none of the, as Dominic would say, the smells and bells and what have you. Um, it really is the real thing. It's the gospel going out, but going into all the world. And so, uh, but this brother who's moved from uh, South Africa, we met him a couple of years back at one of Andrew's meetings, and he was telling us he had an ACE school in South Africa. And uh, so he was interested in us maybe having some kind of exchange. But now God has called him actually to Montenegro. Um, and, uh, and so there, there is an opportunity possibly even for the school because I believe that, you know, Christian education was so in his heart that it's, uh, it's likely that we will see a Christian school start there as well. But he will be starting, he's going there to start a local work. And, um, and it, as in Nepal, we found, you know, there was a, a work that's uh, just getting off the ground and maybe a CBC eventually will come in Nepal, but also in Montenegro. And he, he wants to see that happen. Um, and so our students are going to be kind of first in, if you like, to, to just give this pastor a hand. It's a little bit like, you know, Paul, when uh, uh, it says in the scripture that he had, a, he, he had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And it's the same kind of thing. So exciting, isn't it? And um, who knows, we might be able to get our, even our students going for a trip uh, over there at some point. So, praise God. So, let's look at this scripture. Re Revelation 14, 6, it says, uh, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel. So, this is kind of the last m mention of the uh, word gospel in, uh, in the scripture there. But, and it says, With an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe, and language, and people. So here we see the importance of this gospel. And we thank God for those who, who do hear the call and who do go and uh, present the gospel because this was God's intention. And, uh, and so this was, was what John was seeing, an angel flying directly overhead, and, uh, and he saw that the proclamation was about this eternal gospel. And, uh, and so it was significant to, uh, to know that, again, this is confirming what Jesus said, that the gospel is going to all the world. And uh, here this angel is confirming this uh, to John, to every nation and tribe and language and people. That just covers everyone, doesn't it? It really is that everyone has a right to hear the gospel. And it's interesting what it says there, that it's an eternal gospel. You know that we, we know when the new covenant came in, this is a new covenant that would last forever, where the Old Testament, the old covenant, was done away with in that sense that a, a better covenant was made through the Lord Jesus. But this gospel that we're, we're talking about, you know, in church, when we're talking about this good news, this good news will always be good news. It will be with us forever in heaven. You know, our, our understanding, our conversation is still going to embrace this gospel because it's an eternal gospel. And, and of course, for this to be reality in a person's life, there's got to be an obedience to the gospel. So our calling is, is to present the gospel to people, whether in Dewsbury, because Jesus uh, said, you start in Jerusalem, you're going to Judea, you're going to Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Those were almost his parting words to those disciples when he said, you shall receive power. Um, but it started first in Jerusalem. That's where the early church started. But then his intention was that it would spread, and we saw that. Often it was through persecution. The church in Jerusalem got so persecuted that disciples began to, to move out, but wherever they moved, they, they preached the gospel. And then another fellowship would start. We know that Antioch became a major kind of missionary sending church. Actually became probably bigger than the church in Jerusalem. Uh, that might have been seen as mother church. Uh, and so the gospel was being spread just as the Lord Jesus had required. So if obedience brings salvation and brings eternal life, and of course we have to obey the gospel, but disobedience to the gospel actually brings judgment. So this, this is, you know, the, the very fact of Revelation talks a lot about those, those uh, end time things for us to understand. But we also realize if we don't preach the gospel, people don't get to respond to the gospel. Or uh, if people disobey the gospel in that day, they will be brought uh, to a place uh, of the judgment seat. And, and the bottom line is that, that the Lord is going to say, what did you do with the gospel? Did you believe it or did you reject it? Did you disobey? Um, our situation is that we must present the gospel. We do that with the kids, with the youth. The gospel going out from this place every week is to present this good news so people have an opportunity to take hold of, of this great message that will transform them. It brings them out of... It's like an awakening when we first hear the gospel. We are dead in our spirit, but we get awakened. And then, praise God, we, we find this revival. But we also have an experience of transformation. I'm not what I used to be, praise God. I am a new creature. And so, uh, the, this whole aspect, but to see that then way beyond, a church can get so, so on fire that basically... We, uh, we know that great things begin to happen. The gospel is being preached. Um, it was Amy Semple McPherson who started um, the Four Square Gospel Church um, back in the States. She was quite an amazing lady. She used to have these tent crusades. And when she made an entrance, she would make an entrance on a motorbike. You know, just think, you know, like back in the 1920s or whatever. But... This lady had such a powerful ministry in the gospel. And then she, uh, she said she had this revelation of, uh, you know, of this kind of four-square gospel, which, which clearly you know, is salvation. And then it would be uh, healing. And then it would be the very fact of, of Jesus baptizes in the Spirit. And then... The fact that he is coming again, that's the, what you call the four-square gospel, all of those things embraced. And that, that is part of, of, of what we teach as a gospel. We teach people that you must be born again. You need to be baptized in the Spirit, praise God. Amen. Uh, you are already healed by his stripes. Jesus is coming back again, praise God. He will return. And uh, we, we need to keep a focus on that. That's why Jesus said, uh, you know, in taking communion, that we are to remember him and what he did and that he is coming back. And he's coming back for a church that is in victory, not one that's whimpering and weak. And you see, the world is looking at the church in these days and, and they kind of just shrug it off. Well, who are they? You know, and, and in a sense, we we kind of maybe marginalize because the th power and authority of the church has not been manifesting as it should because people will take note. There are a lot of people, we, we talk about even sickness in the body of Christ, but there's an awful lot more outside. You know, surgeries are full. Dr. Raphael would tell you of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different kind of sicknesses and things that people are suffering. And yet, it's not for the body of Christ. Amen. But I don't know about you, but you know, if, if there's something there that, that keeps you well and uh, is, is power in your life, I, I'd like some of that. Amen? It's not the reason that we, we reach out. We reach out because we get under conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. And he tells us that we need, 
we need to have our sins forgiven. And, you know, that, that is the, the love of God coming. And, uh, and, of course, he brings us to repentance. Without repentance, there's no salvation. And, uh, and we can't preach a gospel that doesn't tell people they need to repent. They need to, you know, be converted. They need to be changing the direction that they've been going in. We're walking away from the cross, but now we, we always are looking to the cross because that's where our victory is. And so it's a transformation of all of our being. And then if you look into Romans 16, and keeping in mind um, what John saw there in this incredible revelation, and of course we know he saw many, many things, and uh, we could spend years just studying that book, but... At the end of Romans 16, and Paul, uh, he basically is tying up his message, probably the greatest message that we have is this uh, letter to the Romans, and uh, it brought us into so much understanding of the Spirit. But now tying these things up in verse 25, his benediction, he says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Well, that's what Paul is. This is my gospel. And it's our gospel. This is, this is what we believe, this gospel. This is what's changed us. This is what has made us different people. But he says, he who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. Praise God. Jesus knew what he was doing when he came to this earth. This was something that the Old Testament prophets had kind of seen afar off. Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, he talks about the suffering of Christ, and yet he was seeing it afar off. And he actually proclaims there that by his wounds we would be healed. And so he saw these things, but it didn't come into effect until the Lord Jesus came and died on the cross, and then it was open uh, for all of us to put faith in what he accomplished at the cross. And so this is what Paul is talking about, according to my gospel. Uh, when he says my gospel, the gospel that I've been preaching to you, the, the message that's been going out into all the world on his missionary journeys and the preaching of Jesus Christ. We can't get away from the very fact it's all really about what the Lord Jesus has done according to the revelation of the mystery. The mystery um, was also the mystery of the church, which was given specifically to Paul. It wasn't given to Peter or the other disciples. It was Paul who had the revelation of the local church, and that's why we learn so much about what we are as believers through his letters the Gospels, as recorded by uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are important. And we, uh, we see how Jesus was living out that Gospel and presenting the Gospel. And, uh, but then we have the understanding of what God has done through creating His church, building His church up. So that's according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Notice that word again. That's the obedience that brings people into salvation. We've got to obey the gospel. We can't just sit back and say, oh, well, that's a nice story or whatever. We've got to obey it. We've got to live it out. Amen. And so in all of these things, and then just to tie these things up, and you know, the way we started looking at these was primarily at the early uh, writings concerning the gospel. And in Mark's gospel, Mark 13, 10, we read, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. So this was a, a requirement. This gospel has got to be first published. What he was saying before I come back again, this gospel has got to go in all the world. Everyone has got to have an opportunity. The amazing thing now, of course, in our time, in the last 10, 15 years, how amazing that this gospel is reaching into everywhere just through the means of internet. 
You know, you have people, even tribal people, that are accessing the gospel in these ways. I think Andrew says that he now is able to preach to at least two-thirds of the whole world population just through his, his uh, messages on TV. That's an amazing thing. That's just one man. But, you know, because he's on so many uh, TV broadcasts now. I mean, when you think that we've got, what, six, seven billion people and uh, at least two to three billion have access to hearing Andrew preach the gospel. He actually calls his program Gospel Truth. And, uh, you know, that's what we have. This is the truth. Sister was saying about, uh, you know, when she was being confronted with, with the doctors and saying, well, these are the facts. But she said, but it's not the truth. Amen. The truth supersedes, you know, the facts that men bring, always. And so we go by the truth of God's word. That's where the power is. They may have facts, but praise God. All circumstances, we say, are subject to change. Praise God. So we're always looking for the good reports. And then in Mark 16, 15, words of Jesus, he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So the Lord Jesus in Mark 13 is saying the gospel must first be published among the nations. And then he says to those disciples, and those disciples include you and me. Sometimes we like to think, well, that wasn't that just the 12 apostles? No, he was actually speaking to his disciples, of which we should be. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So everyone needs to hear. So, we might not all get to go to Montenegro, but the very fact is that it costs money to go ye into all the world. And students, you know, they've given up time and uh, jobs and so on to, to be in college. Some of them are able to do a little bit of work, and uh, some of them are... Uh, we. We probably find that a lot of people that come to Bible colleges are those who maybe have retired now, and therefore they do have funds. And uh, uh, what we want to see is more young people coming in. The young people may not have the finances to go ye, but church can say, go ye, because we can give towards it. And so, as Dominic was saying, that, that trip will probably be back, what, maybe March time? And, um, and therefore, we need to raise funds and give to that. So just let God speak to you about those things. If you, you know, as I say, you may not be able to go. It may not be your calling to go. But the good thing is you can assist somebody else to go. And so when we have these kind of open days and things for college, the funds um, that are raised, they go into mission fund. And um, we, we praise God. You were so giving uh, for us to see that trip to Nepal that was very, very expensive because their culture was that we had to pay even for all the meetings that we were doing. Well, we raised some 8,000 pounds there and we were giving $3,000 away to pastors there so that they could continue the work that they were doing, putting a roof on the church and things like this. You know what happens? That blessing comes back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. But when you're actually giving into the gospel specifically, you know, we're going to see such a mighty blessing of the gospel here as well. And so we encourage you to, um, you know, support these things. And um, we need to see young people coming in. And I believe we, we have heard of one young man who... Um, uh, he's not in our school, he's in an ACE school, but he has already determined he wants to come to a Caris Bible College. Um, you know, instead of having these gap years where so often students uh, don't always do an awful lot, um, but one year, and he basically it was said that he doesn't really know what God has called him to do yet, but he felt that I could go to Bible college for a year. You know what? He's going to hear what God has called him to do. 
because you can't soak yourself in the word in that way without beginning to hear the voice of God speaking to you and I'm sure he does it on a daily basis as well for our students so uh, we praise God for that so do um, uh, seek God about how you might uh, in that way preach the gospel you may not be doing it directly but you can do it through others as well so and finally just to close with with uh, the mention that uh, Jesus brought and recorded by Luke about why the Lord Jesus came in Luke 4:18, it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor the poor in spirit we were all poor in spirit before we embraced this gospel you know that when you embrace the gospel you became rich praise God as never before you had all of heaven available to you so often believers are going around with a poverty mentality and yet we're royalty you know we belong to the king of kings we are princes we are priests so I don't think you would have um, you know Prince Charles going around you know poverty stricken actually I heard on the news that Prince Andrew <laughs> um, they thought he was an intruder and uh, I don't know some security guard or whatever must have had him down on the ground and uh, <laughs> there he is Prince Andrew <laughs> I'd like to have heard what he was saying <laughs> back to him um, amazing isn't it mistaken identity praise God but uh, a good thing about us is you know we, we read didn't we about those Jews those 144,000 that they had the name of the Father in their forehead, it said. Do you see that? Now, if you went back into Revelation 13, you'd realize that the Antichrist was giving everybody the mark, and they had the mark on their foreheads or in their hands, which we know um, in the last days is to do with kind of to control buying and selling. It gets a little bit frightening, doesn't it, when we now... Uh, hear about them putting these kind of things into dogs so you'll always know that it's your dog if it gets lost but they put these things into their ear or whatever and it's like the mark and uh, um, and who the owner is and of course it's the devilish thing but but really God was really saying about these 144,000 these belong to Jesus he's their Messiah and uh, and you know we have his mark on us praise God Hallelujah. It's written in our heart. And uh, that's what God said. No longer am I going to put my word on stones as he did with the Ten Commandments. I'm now going to write this on the fleshy parts of your heart. And so that you know. You know, when people say, I don't know what God's will is. Well, you know, you, you spend time in this word and it gets into your heart. And you know what the will is. And sometimes you just know. You don't always know why. But you just know there's certain things you've got to do. And, uh, and you've got to obey that. And when you do, you'll see the blessing and the reason may come after. But praise God. So Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. You know, the, the name of Christ means anointed one. But the good news for you and me is that we're also anointed. Every one of us. We are called Christians or that means anointed ones as well. We have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So you are anointed. And sometimes we want to, you know, make an excuse, say, well, I can't do this. I can't tell people. I can't speak to people. Just open your, your mouth and speak out. It's like people who uh, get baptized in the spirit and they, they really have problems with speaking in tongues. And... Um, uh, and sometimes they, they're kind of waiting for a word to come into their head so that it can speak out this new language. But God says, just open your mouth and start speaking. You know, and that's the way it happens. We had a lady, I remember, some time back. She came down from Scotland. And um, I, I was sharing uh, in the meeting. After the meeting, she came up to me. She says, I've been baptized in spirit 19 years and never spoken in tongues. I says, well, you know, you can do. And she kind of looked and I said... 
She says, what do you mean? And I said, I'll pray for you. And uh, I said, you, you speak in tongues. And she said, and of course, what she started doing was spe- you know, speaking in English. I said, no, I said, that, shut your mouth in that way and now speak out with the language that God... And immediately, she started speaking out. And she said, I could have done that 19 years ago. I said, yes, you could have done. But the devil sometimes just confuses, as you see, and tries to hold those things back. And of course then, you know, the devil loves to give tongues a bad press, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, no, you can't, that's, the, you know, that's no good. What, what good is speaking tongues? And, uh, and yet I say, well, you know what Paul said? I speak in tongues more than you all. I thought, that's pretty good recommendation. If probably the greatest Christian that ever lived spoke in tongues more than anyone else, maybe that, that could be just why he might be such a great man of God, because he was building himself up in his spirit. And what a wonderful way it is. What I like about speaking and praying in tongues is the devil doesn't know what you're saying. He understands English, he understands Chinese, he understands these languages of the earth, but he doesn't understand this spiritual language, this spirit language, amen. He is totally confused by it. And I suspect he shakes a little bit when we really do begin to pray in the Spirit. Because things are happening. Because that, that's pure prayer that is always reaching heaven. Amen. Doesn't make sense in the natural, does it? But God knows what he's doing. Amen. And so, praise God, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus is doing, this is, this is what the gospel is, beloved. You know, this is kind of a breakdown of this gospel. It's coming to people who are poor in spirit, people who are not born again. First of all, this is the intention. The gospel reaches the person who has no eternal life in them. And then it says, it heals the brokenhearted. How many people do we meet on a regular basis that are brokenhearted? Their marriage is broken up, the kids I got into drugs. You know, mums and dads really hurting. Did anybody see that program on Channel 4 about the school in Dewsbury? Wow. That's just up in Thornhill. They're doing a series. I think it may be eight weeks. And, um, and they have taken the cameras in over a year, apparently. And they have... They have literally recorded conversations with the children, with the headmaster, with teachers, with staff, and it shows you what this school is like. There's so much horrible things going on. And I, you know, you could say, well, this is, and this is now, seemed to be quite a good school. But, praise God, when I saw that, I said, thank you, Jesus, for Christian education. But I thought, If parents are watching that program, they should be running to get their kids into a Christian school. It was horrific. And the ed teacher, bless him, he said he's spending more time just trying to correct the children and get them into obedience. And of course, you're fighting a losing battle because, you know, it's going on all the time and they're feeding off one another. But that... Isn't it interesting? They chose Dewsbury to come and... I mean, this is national television, so this is going all over the nation. We seem to have this, don't we, with bombers and people like that, and the publicity concerning Dewsbury. I remember, you know, going to places in the past, before any of these things were coming out in the press or on TV or whatever, and you used to, they used to say, where do you come from? You used to say, well, Dewsbury. And they'd say, oh, Shrewsbury. No, Dewsbury. Tewksbury, maybe. But they don't know Dewsbury. But now when we go anywhere, and you say, you come, oh, Dewsbury. <laughs> they know about Dewsbury. But for all the wrong reasons. Doesn't God just want to change that and do a complete transformation? And people say, Dewsbury. Oh, that's where... God is doing all these amazing things. Now, we know we got the radio, and people are relating that back, I suppose, in some degree. But, you know, God wants to do this, beloved. But, but when Jesus said, 
the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to do these things. Don't you think that it is exactly the same as what he's saying to you and me? I've anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me, he has sent you to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Because this is the gospel. This is really what it's there for. Amen. We should get really excited about this. Because he's no respecter of persons. He can do it through you. We like to think, no, he can only do it through Benny Inn or Andrew Womack or whatever. You see, Andrew, he's very honest. He says, I don't carry a specific healing gift. But what he does, he, he gives what the Word says about healing. And in a way, it's far better. And the body of Christ should be in the position where we're not having to run to a healing evangelist to get healed. We have already got the healing within us. We just need to release it. But by so doing, God has also given us hands then to lay on people and to say, you know, you are healed in Jesus' name. Because he has told us we've got to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so we, we have to take those opportunities that come our way. We went to pray for this little girl and um, uh, of course it was it's a kind of a Pakistani family. Praise God, they're believers. Um, but there is a, an authority uh, that comes right through the grandfather, you know, to his children. And then, of course, this was his little granddaughter. And as we were in there, uh, Raphael was with us, and she was speaking to him, and he began to weep. And this was, you know, this is a grandfather. You can understand that. This is his little granddaughter. And they said that they, they could be amputating, you know, a leg. And he was so full of, uh, you know, grief and, uh, and praise God. And, of course, Raphael was speaking the word back to him. What happened 2,000 years ago? And, I mean, this is a learned man. He is a, he is a, a preacher. He is, a, you know, he, he reaches out to the Muslims all the time. Um, but, you see, that comes over somebody but thank God that it's times like that. We can stand together. He doesn't come to this church, but we can stand with him and say, hey, we are here because, you know, of this little girl. And uh, we want her well. And we are believing that she will be well. And uh, it was so good to go in and then see. And they said, what a difference a day has made where she was, you know, just spaced out I think basically the day before now she was playing with the dolls and um, but you know there's something that grabs hold of you and you, you see that that in that family such hurt you know thinking that of what's happened and they you know the grandparents were there their uncles and aunts and you know gathering round and um, but even even as we were there they were speaking about, well, this is what they might do, this is, and they could be doing this, and they could be doing that. And I just felt the Lord saying, don't receive that, don't receive that. And, and we, we just spoke, you know, you are well, you're going to be well, Jesus is here, he's going to help you in these things. Um, but faith, you see, is the important issue, isn't it? You've got to get, you know, faith rising. But it's got to be in, in the local church. And the more that it is, and that's why we love testimonies of healing, and you may still have sickness in your body. You might feel, well, I still have these problems. Well, praise God. You know, we can stand and resist with you, and we don't have to accept these things. It's not for us. Amen. Jesus set us free. Amen. And he didn't just say free from certain things and not others. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So, again, you know, we, we need to take you know, these scriptures very clearly to ourselves and say, yes, Lord, you called every one of us who is your children to preach this message. You called us to heal the brokenhearted, not just to sympathize with people. I've even seen you know, God working on people, even in meetings. And 
God is, is dealing with a person's life and they might start weeping and, you know, and one of the, the things we've got to be careful of is that we don't just go over and think, oh, well, uh, they need a loving arm around them right now. But sometimes you've got to let God deal with situations like that. It's not that you're being callous, but, but sometimes we can do more harm by sympathizing because all you're doing is agreeing, well, this is, it's so sad, isn't it, that this is the way you are and that you're going through this and, uh, well, you know, we can pray, you know, and uh, uh, let God's will be done and, and so on. And, and yet, but sometimes, you know, at that point, they could be just reaching out and saying, it may be something they've got to get rid of anyway. Let God deal with those situations. Um, but ultimately, God wants as well. Amen? He wants little girls running about and uh, not having to put up with something for the rest of their life that is less than what God intended for them. Uh, but deliverance to the captives and a lot of the ministry that I see that Jesus did when he was here on earth was, was delivering people from the work of the enemy. And he healed the sick and uh, he cast out demons. And you know, sometimes people back off when you talk about demons oppressing us and coming against us. But that's the work of the enemy. But we, we need to set people free of those things because he's a liar, he's a deceiver. He just gets into people's thinking, messes their thinking up and then they can't really reach out in faith or whatever. And sometimes we just need to rebuke those things and send them out, send them back from where they came, amen? And so, praise God. So we'll have our music team come and uh, we'll, we'll sing. But if you need you know, prayer this morning, what I'm saying is, it's no good, is it, me just spending time all these weeks and months talking about the gospel, but we don't put the gospel into practice. And I don't care if nobody comes out. But if you need to come out, come out because there is authority in the church. The gates fell will not prevail against the church. We have people here who have experienced uh, deliverance. We have people here who have been healed. And, uh, and they know that this really is for us. It's, it's a blessing. But we want the church to get strong. And so that you can also meet. This is, this is what Bible College is doing all the time. I think they even this week they had healings and things taking place. Students being surprised at what God would do. And God might use you. We were up in a, a meeting up in uh, Newcastle Way some years back. Maurice Cirillo actually was, was preaching. And he suddenly stopped preaching. Uh, midway. I mean, he, he was partway through his... He says, God's told me, I've got to stop. And uh, he says, God wants to do some healing here uh, this morning. And, uh, and he, like Billy Graham does, he, he often has lots of clergy on, uh, you know, sat round. And Cirillo does that as well. And there were these minister, Anglican ministers and, and people who had never seen anybody ever healed. But they were on the stage. And, and then he suddenly turned round. And you should have seen the look on their face. He says, and you guys are going to pray for the sick and they'd never prayed for some of these people ever and, and I remember one minister he came down and he, uh, he didn't know what to do he, uh, he'd never experienced anything like this but he'd been invited and you know he looked important up there I guess and, uh, so he came down and uh, there, there was someone stood in front of him and, uh, and Cyril says okay now lay hands on them and he was kind of looking to see what other and he, he just Went like that. And as soon as his hand went out, this person just whew, went, went down in the spirit. And his mouth was open. <laughs> he, he didn't know what had happened. You see, I mean, we know God can even use a donkey to prophesy. But you know that that minister, you see this, when this guy got up, he says, it's gone. He says, I'm free. This minister was so encouraged. He says, wow, I think I'd like to do that again. <laughs> you know, and... But that was somebody just embracing something that God wants to do all the time. Yes, that could be you next week somewhere. You know, somebody says, you know, I've got something wrong. You know, I found that unbelievers are more willing to be prayed for than believers. 
You know, they really do need help. And, uh, and they, they often will say, Oh, yes, I'd like you to pray for me. There are people come in the shop and do that. But amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information, please check out www.jewsbygospelchurch.org.uk.